simple. It just says he lives. Amen. 377. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I leading through all the stormy past. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me Christian, lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujah to Jesus Christ the King of all who seek him, help of all who find, none other is so loving, so good and kind, sing it out he lives, he lives Christ Jesus lives today amen, he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way, he lives he lives, salvation glad he lives? Yeah. Amen. Third, turn to page 354. 354. We need to look to the Lamb of God. 354. If you from sin are longing to be free, look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem died on Calvary. Look to the Lamb of God. Look
fill your hearts with song. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. For He alone is able to save you. Look to the Lamb of God. Fear not when shadows on your pathway fall. Look Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special day and we thank you for each guest that is with us. We thank you for each one that is here in this place this morning. And Lord, we just ask that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that we would remember you are the audience for which we do everything that we do here today. We pray that our singing would bring glory to your name. Lord, we pray the special music would worship you. Lord, we pray that the preaching would cause each one of us to be willing to give the greatest sacrifice that you desire, and that is a willing and a surrendered and a contrite heart. We ask that you would work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Stand and turn to page 380 in your songbooks. 380. Jesus saves. Amen. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Wafted on the rolling tide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell to sinners far and wide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. In the islands of the sea. Echo back the ocean caves. Earth shall keep her jubilee. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing above the battle strife. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. By his death and endless life. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing ye softly through the gloom. When the heart for mercy frames, sing in triumph for the tomb. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, shout salvation full and free, highest hills and deepest caves, this our song of victory, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, amen, and turn to page 822, that's past the index, 822, our great Savior, amen, 822. Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, he my Savior makes me
sing this fourth as the last, and as we do, all the children 11 and under will be dismissed to the junior church. Verse 4. Jesus, what a guide and keeper while the tempest still is high. Storms about me night or takes me. He, my pilot, hears my cry. And just before the message this morning, I'm going to have Brother Franz sing us a, uh, a song. So just listen to the words and let it prepare your heart for the preaching. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to way to victory. 
with me if you know it ain't cause he lives I can face tomorrow because he Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, we're going to try to get through an entire chapter uh, this morning. And uh, if you're here on our Thursday night Bible study, you say, we can't even get through one verse in 45 minutes. How long are we going to be here this morning? And uh, I promise you we'll... Uh, not be able to cover everything in this chapter, but as we talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, this is certainly one of the uh, pivotal chapters in the Bible because we have a tendency as we look through the Bible and we hear the stories and uh, in our Sunday school time, that's why we go through uh, the Bible stories one at a time because many people have heard them from when they were little children and they know about David and Goliath and they know about uh, that Jesus did good things and healed people and did many miracles and that he died and he rose again. But we fail to get the connection between those stories and how and what we are supposed to live. And... Acts chapter 15 starts in, in verse 1. Paul is summing up everything he has given to these Corinthian believers, this church that God had allowed him to start in the city of Corinth. And, and we'll remember that uh, these Corinthian believers had, uh, um, they had a lot against them, shall we say. Uh, they lived in a very uh, wicked uh, city. In fact, uh, many of you will remember that uh, uh, they used to be somewhat in fashion. If you were really wanting to deride someone, you would call them a Corinthian. And every once in a while, you'll drive through a town and you'll see uh, a bar or some kind of club and it'll be named Corinth or the Corinthian or something like that. Be warned, it's a bad place. And uh, don't go in there, all right? And... Uh, Paul was trying to sum up everything that he had given these Corinthian believers to help them in their walk with God. And we start in chapter and verse 1 of chapter 15. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel 
which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. For I which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, we're going to stop our reading right there for a moment. And a lot of times you will hear, you go into the store and, and you'll see uh, the music store, you'll see gospel music. Now, most people, when they think of gospel music, uh, let's just be very plain this morning, they think of tambourine, drums, swaying hips and, and clapping hands. That's not the gospel. The gospel, the word gospel means good news. Now, you might get excited when you hear good news. Amen. But the good news, the only good news I can give you today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, when you hear good news on the radio, what do you know? Bad news is following. I mean, the what is it? If it bleeds, it leads, right? Uh, if, if there's something bad happening, everybody wants to talk about it. But when is the last time you heard somebody on the news or, or, or picked up your paper and it said, God is good on the top of it? When did you ever see him say the economy is good on the top of it? I mean, when did you say, ever see him say anything is good? The only really good news I can give you is the story of Jesus Christ. The fact that he died. You say, but that's not good, that's sad. Oh yes, it's very good for us. Because he died in our place, amen? He died so that we wouldn't have to. He was buried. And he rose again. That's the gospel. All of it. There's nothing else in the gospel message, because you don't need anything else. Amen. What you need to understand is the fact that Jesus died. He paid the price for your sins and that he rose again from the dead. Now, they, they just put out a poll, you know, coming up on Easter and everybody. I mean, this thing called a poll, it, it used to be a survey uh, the real definition of a poll, let me rephrase that, is a survey of mass ignorance. Amen? Isn't that what a poll is? Honestly, it's opinion. Now, what is opinion based on? 90% of the time, opinion is based on ignorance. It's based on the fact that you don't know everything that you ought to know. And uh, that's why opinion polls are just so absolutely worthless. But they wanted to have an opinion poll as to whether Jesus had really resurrected from the dead. I think it was about uh, 60 some percent of people who identify themselves as evangelicals or Protestants believe that Jesus actually rose again from the dead. 30 some percent of Catholics believe that Jesus actually rose again from the dead. And, and uh, that was the only uh, 
real documentation I got from it. And so if you don't fit into one of those two categories, I, I don't know where your specific group comes in. But uh, a great majority of people know all about the Bible. But how many of them really believe it? And that's why I hope we're here this morning. Paul said, listen, I wanted to declare unto you the gospel. He says, by which also ye are saved. Uh, we met, I met a man on uh, passing out tracks in Jackson Heights yesterday afternoon. And he says, I go to church every Sunday. And I said, but are you saved? He wrinkled his brow and looked at me. He said, what do you mean? I said, do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? Oh, um, hope so. And that's, at least he's being honest. But you would go to church every Sunday. And this is supposed to be a, a church that preaches the gospel. You, you go to a church every Sunday and you do everything they say. And I mean, he was, he was really elated that he was getting something from a church and that he could identify with his church and the fact that he went to church. And yet, when you ask him the cardinal question, the most important question that you answer in your entire lifetime, he, he really acted like it was of not real importance. But wouldn't it be a tragedy to come to church week after week and be involved in everything that is going on and feel like you're really a part and that you're really accomplishing something for God and miss heaven? Yet what did Jesus say in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 7, he said, Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and done many wonderful works? And what does Jesus say the answer is to those people? He says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Now, that's a frightening passage. Yet it's in the Bible. And it's no small wonder why Paul, as he is summing up everything to the Corinthian church, says, listen, we're going to start right here with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's how you get saved. Amen. You have to put your faith and your trust in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul also says, I delivered unto you first of all. So many times we go to church. And so many churches are about trying to work your way to heaven. Yet the Bible does it exactly the opposite. You start by taking care of heaven. Then your life is free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we take just a moment chase a little rabbit here? Let's just suppose for a moment... You're going to have to put your thinking caps on here and just follow real close or you get lost. But let's just suppose for a moment that the Bible did want us to do enough works to earn our way to heaven. Let's just suppose that you could 
do enough good things to outweigh the bad things that you've done. Now, that's a whole topic right there. Stop and think of all the sin that you committed. How in the world could you possibly do enough good to take care of everything that you've ever done wrong? But let's just suppose you could. What would your life be like? What would your decision-making process be like? You see, anyone that had a problem or a struggle is an opportunity for me to get points to get myself into heaven. So what am I doing? I'm running around taking advantage of people who are in trouble so that I can be good enough to get to heaven. We have a name for that. It is the number one character trait of our society today. It's called selfishness. Wouldn't that be horrible that you had to walk around trying to help people so you could earn enough points to get to heaven? And by the way, how many points do you need? I'm glad the Bible does it so much different. It just simply says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. doesn't say maybe be saved. It doesn't mean saved from this, but not from this. It means saved. Amen. It means brought into God's family. It means you're, you're made so that you will never have to experience God's judgment and God's wrath in a place called hell because Jesus paid the price. And all we have to do is accept that price. That's the good news because it never changes. Everything else, it's up for sale, isn't it? Everything else depends on the mere whim and fancy of the person you're dealing with. Remember the old days with the parking tickets? If you found the meter maid getting ready, you could run up and say, Please don't give me a ticket. And sometimes they wouldn't give you a ticket. Now they have those little computer things and you're just done. They, they push the button and you got a ticket no matter what. They take all of the emotion and all of the, all, all of the ability to plead your case out of it. Boy, isn't that awful. But that's really the way it ought to be, isn't it? Don't you just hate that? You see, they made the rules. And we knew we were breaking the rules when we parked there. And we knew we deserved a ticket, but we were just hoping we wouldn't get one. And then when we get one, what do we do? We get angry. That makes sense. But it's human nature, isn't it? Now, God made a way through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ that every man and woman that ever lived, every human being, could escape God's wrath. That's good news, amen? And all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look here. Paul does not just give us this story and say, now here it is, this is all you need, yep, that's it. He, he actually goes through and gives us some proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, look at verse 3, the last phrase there. 
It says, according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, that phrase is repeated again, according to the Scriptures. Now, if you had been here on our Thursday night Bible studies, we started a few weeks before Christmas, actually, in the month of November. And we began going through all of the prophecies in the Bible and all of the texts in the Bible that foretold of what Jesus would do, how he would be born in that manger, how the life that he would live, the death that he would die, and his resurrection. Every part of the life of Jesus Christ was prophesied, in some cases, over a thousand years before he was born. Read Psalm 22. It is a blow-by-blow account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, written by David a thousand years before Jesus was born. Isaiah chapter 53. People like to say, well, that's talking about uh, downtrodden people. No, it's talking about one person, Jesus Christ. Again, 700 and some odd years before Jesus was born. You go through this Bible, the Old Testament tabernacle. Wow. Everything in that tabernacle pictures Jesus Christ and our relationship to Him. You, you just cannot find that kind of agreement by accident. It is a mathematical impossibility for things to agree so well and not be ordained to agree with each other. It would be like going to um, one store and buying one puzzle and going to another store and buying a puzzle of a completely different kind and going to four or five stores and buying puzzles that had nothing to do with each other, bringing them all home and putting the pieces together and get one beautiful picture. Say, that doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. But men who did not know each other, David and Isaiah, never met. Isaiah and Daniel never met. Moses never met any of them. And yet we have all of these prophecies and a prophecy of Jacob recorded even before Moses wrote the Bible down and put it in print. Every one of them point to Jesus Christ. Jesus did what he did according to the Scriptures. Amen. The Bible says, and, verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Paul said, listen, I, I was the last one, but I saw the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute and to destroy and imprison and kill those that believed on the name of Jesus Christ. And it says at noonday, the sun became dim, not as it did on the day of crucifixion when God covered it up, but because the brightness of the glory of Jesus Christ made the sun look like a dirty candle burning in the dark. And he looked and he said, Who art thou, Lord? 
And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Then Paul asked the next question. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? He said, I met the resurrected Christ. I saw him with my own two eyes. And I who persecuted the church became a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I am preaching his message. And look what he says in, in, uh, in verse... Let's start reading again in verse 10. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace was bestowed upon me. And, and His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. But the grace of God, which was in me, with, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. Now, the last phrase is the most important. And so ye believed. He said, you Corinthians believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Corinth, we've already been over this, was a wicked town. But the change of the life of someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely wonderful. Amen? I mean, we could stop our service right now and we could have people stand up and they could tell you what their life was like before they met Jesus Christ. We have all kinds of backgrounds in this. We have from the down and out to the up and out to the, to the in crowd to the out crowd. I mean, we've got everybody here this morning and, and they could give you their testimonies of what they used to do. But you know, what good would it be to go through all of those rotten things that we used to do when we can talk about all the good things that we do now because Jesus lives in our life. Amen? That's the real testimony. That's what God wants to do. He changes the way we live. Uh, the way I love to say it is... God loves you so much, He will only take you just the way you are. He does not want you to clean yourself up. He doesn't want you to put on uh, a new suit and, and, and try to hide all the stains and all the problems. He wants you to come to Him just as you are with every wrong thing you've ever done, open and exposed to Him. Because that's why Jesus died on the cross, Amen. And he'll take care of it. Because he paid for it. Amen. God is a perfect bookkeeper. He's got every sin, every debt that was ever done in your life, every infringement of his laws written in his books. The moment you put your faith and trust in what Jesus does, has done for you, he has the bookkeeper go through and write, paid in full with the blood of Jesus beside every entry. Isn't that a wonderful truth? He said, so you believe, Corinthians. And he changed your life. But you know, the world's full of doubters. Amen? We hear it all the time. All the doubters. 
And, and Paul goes on here and he says, now listen, if Christ be preached, verse 12, now if Christ be preached, he rose from the dead. How say some of you that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there be no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is also in vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Have, are perished. Verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Amen? I mean, we look at that. And we want you to understand here today as Paul is going through this chapter, he is explaining to us, number one, the gospel. Then he gives proofs of the resurrection. He says, listen, I have 500 witnesses. He said, most of them are still alive. Some of them have passed away. He said, they have seen him. He said, I have seen him. He said, you have believed and you can look at the changes that God has done in your lives. He said, but you got those doubters. They were right there in the church at Corinth. They were going around saying, there's no such thing as a resurrection. And he said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now, I want you just to stop and think a moment. You know, we all have hope for certain things and dreams of things that we want to have happen in our lives. In fact, when you get to the point to where you stop hoping of the future and stop thinking that something is going to happen and stop wanting things to to move and change in your life, you, you, in essence, you stop living, do you not? Now, if our hope is only in the things that we can hold in our hands, only in the things that you can put on a shelf, only in the things that you can write down on paper, only in the things that you can hold and buy and sell in this lifetime, let me ask you a question. What kind of life do you have? Remember Alexander the Great? I like to bring him up. You know why? Because he accomplished more than probably any hundred human beings that we could imagine or mention. He conquered almost the entire civilized world in his day. Died at, what was it, 32 years old? His dying words were, are there, no yet, are there yet no worlds to conquer? I mean, he accomplished a lot, didn't he? But he knew he was meeting God and he wasn't, wasn't prepared. They tell the story of a young agnostic. He was one of those people who lived about a hundred years ago, a little more maybe, and he believed 
that if there was such a thing as God, he had wanted nothing to do with us as human beings. And there is really in, in nothing, no, con, no connection between God and man. And so he preached himself in his own lifestyle and lived exactly the way he wanted. In essence, he would go around telling people that he was just as good as God was. And he determined what was right and what was wrong. And one night he, he, um, you know, and he, he was led into this life. Let me get this detail in before we move on by a, a friend of his while he was in college and they, they shared their hatred of God and all the rules and regulations of religion. And they had gone their ways after college and one night he decided to take room in a, in a boarding house and the owner of the inn said, listen, he said, I only have one room, but right next to it, he said, there's a, a man dying. He says, now, will that bother you? He says, listen, he says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of these things. He said, uh, I, am, I am absolutely confident that it won't bother me. And he went and tried to sleep that night as he heard the man next door gasping for his last breaths and begin to cry out in despair and moan and groan and talk about how that he was going to meet God and, and that he wasn't ready. And the man in the next room as he was dying began to lament out loud and, and cry out saying, I, I've wasted my life, I'm not ready. And, and this young man was quite shaken by this in the morning. And as he stopped by the desk on his way out, he said... Uh, how did the man do? He, he made an awful lot of noise last night. He says, well, you won't have to worry about it. He, he passed away in the early morning hours. He's dead now. He's at peace. And the fellow said, well, might I inquire after the dead man's name? And he was shaken to the foundation of his being as the name of his dear friend during his college days who led him into a hatred of God was the man he heard dying next door. He said, if that man wasn't ready to meet God and that man on his deathbed believed that there was a God and cried out that he was not ready to meet him, I'm going to go find out who God is. And he did. And he got saved and he gave his life to be a preacher of the gospel. This book was written. The things that Jesus did was done so that you and I might have a hope that goes beyond the grave. Amen. That we can have a hope that is more than in things that we can hold in our hands and write down in a checkbook and put on a ledger seat. Because we will all stand before the judge one day. He's only going to ask one question. What have you done with Jesus Christ? That's the only question. Have you believed in him? He's the one that paid the price for your sins. Amen. He's the one that died in your place so that you can go free. He's the one that rose again from the dead to prove that he had victory both over sin and over death. Come down to verse 29.
Well, let's read verse 23 first. It says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and all power. God does things in order, amen? Jesus was the example. He is the one that died in our place. He is the one that paved the way so that we can go free and escape God's wrath. He's the first fruits. We that believe in Him can follow after Him. Verse 29 is a verse that people have a lot of problems with in the Bible. It says, Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, if you want a, a real uh, venture in trying to figure out what that one means, just go to your local theological library and start checking out commentaries and read what they say. There, you won't find any to the degree, I don't believe. Uh, people, uh, most of the time, what they do when they commentate is they come up to a hard verse like this when they skip over it and start on the other side. It's really simple. As Jesus was walking the earth, how many of you remember when James and John came to him and their mother said, can James sit on one side and John sit on the other side in the kingdom? Remember that story? Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I have to drink and be what? Baptized with the baptism I have to be baptized with? He was using a word that we talk about being immersed in water to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was referring to the baptism of suffering that he was going to endure on the cross. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Well, look at the next verse. And why, do, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? He said, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die die daily. If after the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me? If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Let me tell you something, Paul, you study his life and one word is going to come up over and over and over again. It is the word suffering. Paul endured much anguish and much suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. We think we're suffering when somebody looks at us funny and says, you must be one of those religious fanatics to hand out tracts. That's not suffering. They beat Paul in Silas and put him in prison. That's suffering, my friend. They stoned Paul and left him outside a town for dead. That's suffering. He was shipwrecked, the Bible tells us, three times. One that gives us a story in the account of in the book of Acts. That's suffering. Paul lost every friend that he had because of this book called the Bible. Because Paul was a Pharisee. He was not only a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He lost his name, he lost his wealth, he lost his position, he lost everything because of the name of Jesus Christ. 
Read his testimony in Philippians chapter 3. He says, and do count them but what? Don't, that I may win Christ. The resurrection gives me a purpose and a hope beyond the grave. It is the beginning of victory. It is the first step to Christ establishing his kingdom. He's the first fruits. We follow after him. Amen. But it gives me the ability to endure the suffering of this world, the pain and the sickness, the sorrow that we have to go through to live in this world. Sometimes you will suffer for the cause of Christ, but that is a little thing when we compare to the suffering that Christ did for us. Amen? And this gives me hope to endure life. And by the way, there is no person of any kind of trade or any accomplishment on this earth that has not gone through great trouble to get there. We get this crazy idea, we call it the American dream, and that's because it is a dream. You're gonna, if you're going to progress in today's economic times, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to, as the old coal miner song said, sell your soul to the company store, aren't you? I mean, you're going to have to give everything. Do you think uh, Bill Gates got where he was by playing around? The founder of Holiday Inn, he said, I've only worked half days every day of my life. He says, you, but you've got to pick the half, the first 12 hours or the second. I mean... Anyone that accomplishes anything. We just finished the Olympics. How would you like to have a dollar for every hour just one of those athletes spent practicing before the Olympic Games? You could do more and buy lunch with that, couldn't you? And yet when it comes to our service for Jesus Christ, the least little bump in the road sends us head in the other direction. Tell you, we need to meet Jesus Christ and understand His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that'll keep you glued to the course that is set before you and give you the ability to endure a little bit of suffering. Look at verse 34. He says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. We have a lot of people running around today saying, I'm a Christian, but I can be and do whatever I want. That's blasphemy. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you've done. It's no longer yours, it's His. And let me tell you something, He'll do a lot better job with it than you ever could. Could we have an amen from the people who know that to be true? I mean, what, what would I have done with my life? I'm glad I got saved when I was 11 years old. Because I've done enough hurtful things being saved. I hate to even begin to imagine what I could have done without the Holy Spirit and without this Word corralling me and pushing me in the right direction. Awake to righteousness. Do you know what a victory it is 
not to be involved in all the trash that's going on around you? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how many of you want to be Elizabeth Taylor? Oh, she made movies, made a lot of money. And uh, I don't know how many times that woman's been married and divorced. I try not to keep up on that garbage, but I mean, she certainly uh, would be an example of stupidity when it comes to marriage, wouldn't it? I think it was Getty or Hearst. No, it was Randolph Hearst, the great uh, newspaper man, said, I'd give everything if I could just have one happy marriage. I, I think he only failed at seven or eight of them. Uh, Mary Baker, Glover, Patterson, something, something. We know her as Marietti, the founder of the Christian science movement. Uh, she could imagine everything away but the divorce lawyers, which she went to see on a regular basis. She was a kook, let me tell you. Awake to righteousness, amen? Let's, let's not live our lives the way that the world lives their lives. Let's, let's get away from that stuff. Who wants that in their life? No sane person, amen? Look what it says here in verse 49. It says, As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is the glory of the resurrection. I'm not going to be like me forever. Amen? I won't have to put up with myself. The greatest struggles you're going to struggle in this life are not going to be with other people. It's going to be with your own self. Amen? And one of these days, this corruption is going to put on incorruption and the old Pete Montoro is going to be gone. And I'm going to be happier than I've ever been in my life. Amen? That's the glory of the resurrection because I'm going to resurrect too. But it's not going to be this mess that you see standing in front of you. It's going to be a glorified body. And you read there, Paul goes through... A huge argument as, as to people arguing about what kind of body are we going to have in heaven. And he just simply says, don't worry about it. There's a lot of things you don't need to worry about. Amen. You get worrying about all these things and they keep you from accepting the simple truth that Jesus died on the cross. He wants to give you a hope to live right now and a glory to live with him in heaven. Amen. Just one more verse and we'll be done. Verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. There's a reason to live. How many of you know what the definition of a pessimist is? It's somebody who looks both ways before crossing a one-way street. That makes about everybody that lives in New York City a pessimist. 
Because every year, there's at least one poor guy that crosses the street. He looked in the direction the street is going. Somebody's driving the wrong way and breaks and runs over him. It, it happens. I always look both ways before I cross any street in New York City. And you'd be wise to do the same. Amen? So if that's a pessimist, I guess we're all pessimists, aren't we? But look what this says. It says, be steadfast. Why? Therefore, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because he paid for my sins on the cross, and he rose again from the dead, I can be confident that the little things that my life accomplishes is going to last for eternity. My labor is not in vain in the Lord. I am 41 years old. I'm supposed to be just getting ready to go into midlife crisis or be there right now. You know what? I haven't had time to stop and think if I need one. Amen? Because I'm too busy trying to abound in the work of the Lord. And I have an absolute confidence that the life that I'm living is the life that Jesus wants me to live. Now, it doesn't mean it's perfect. We understand that. But what it does mean is my direction is the right direction. Guess what? I haven't ever been to a therapist. I don't want to go to a therapist. I think I could help most therapists by giving them what's in this book called the Bible. Amen? I worked for a guy one time when I was in high school. He was, he was a... Uh, Okay, I'm going to forget. He was a psychiatrist. That's the one that has the medical doctor's degree plus the mind degree. He can do everything. I have never met a more mixed up, messed up individual in my entire life than that psychiatrist that I worked for helping him move one summer. You talk about a messed up man. I tried to witness to him, but tell him about Jesus Ah, uh, he says that religious stuff. He said that's. Uh, he said that's too simple. Well, those cigarettes and that liquor and the pornography and everything else that you're addicted to, you're telling me that that's simple. That's not simple, man. It's not satisfying. It's not nothing. I mean, there are some things that are worse than nothing. Amen. Because all they do is they steal from you and take. That's why God calls sin, sin. Because it'll kill you. Jesus died on the cross. The only good news we have. Amen. He was buried and he rose again. According to the scriptures. There were eyewitnesses. I've heard the testimony of those who believe. I've got a hope beyond this life and will last for all eternity. Jesus has already begun the victory. We're just waiting until it's finished. Amen. 
I've got a reason not to worry when suffering comes into my life. I can endure, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to have righteousness in my life. And I can tell you from my few years of experience, it's worth it. It's worth it when your kids love the things of God. Amen? It's worth it. When I stop and I think of my widow mother living there in her home helping her older brother, I think of the joy that she gets when she gets a tape and says, this is my son preaching. It's worth it. Let me tell you something. It's worth it in this life. It's worth it in the life to come. It's worth it right now. It was worth it 15 years from now, before now, and it'll be worth 15 years from now and 100 years from now. Jesus did not do these events to give us a nice story and a special day to decorate Easter eggs and give away candy and get fat and all those wonderful things that we do around Easter time. Jesus died to change the way we live today. Do you have a living relationship with the living God? Are you walking daily with Him? Does he control your decision-making process? Or are you just doing the best you can? There's a difference. Is he the one you're trusting in to get you to heaven? Or are you trusting in yourself? It says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Is that your life or is your life controlled by sin? Do you have the confidence to be steadfast and unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. I tell you, that's a life worth living. Wouldn't trade it with anybody else for anything else. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we've just walked our way through this chapter. Lord, my prayer is for everyone in this room that they would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, my prayer would be that all of those who have been saved would have the hope and the joy and the strength that this passage talks about. And Lord, if we are in here this morning and we do not have salvation. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work and soften that heart and make it willing to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Lord, I pray for those that have confessed Jesus as their Lord and they, they know, they have believed, but their life is not, has not been the way that you would have them to live. Lord, 
we ask that they would be willing to surrender their pride and their hardness of heart and let you do a work. Lord, the reason I pray this way is because we want to worship you. Worship is not unrelated to the Word of God. It's intimately connected, and we must be obedient to that Word in order to worship you. In fact, that's the definition of true worship. We ask that that would happen here this morning in these few moments as we sing an invitation hymn that people would be willing to surrender their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Five hundred and forty-one is the song. It's a song we sing often because it describes exactly what needs to happen in order to be saved. It describes what needs to happen in the life of a Christian who needs to get back on the right path. It's only trust Him. As we sing, will you make your decision this morning? Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. Let's just bow our heads where we are. We'll just let the piano play for a few moments. If you'd like to join these that are already here, we'd encourage you just to step out of your seat and come and pray. If you've made a decision that you want to follow the Lord in baptism or become a member of our church, we, we don't know that unless you tell us. And this is as great a time as any to let us know. And most of all, if you're here this morning without the knowledge of the Savior, would you just take the time and allow somebody to show you from the Bible how you can know that your sins are forgiven and that Jesus is your Savior. Not going to be a long time. Just one more verse till these have finished praying. If you need to come, now is the time to come. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. If we could have our ushers come.